Hey there! Thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG! We are an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition livestreamed actual play campaign set in an original, non-colonial, anti-orientalist world. I am your Game Master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and this is my cast. My name is C, I use they, them pronouns, and I play Okahaye, an Asamar blood hunter slash monster hunting expert. I'm Erica, and I play V. Nocturzo, your lovable elf sorcerer slash charlatan with draconic ancestry. My name is Lyra, and I use they-she pronouns. I play Manaya Wairua, a half-orc fighter with a sailing background. I'm Max, my pronouns are they-them, and I play Dewey Quirk, an Aarakoko artificer and researcher on the run from his former employers at the Ohanahi Research Laboratory. You can support Transplaner RPG by pledging to our Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res assets, and much, much more. As a heads up, this podcast is stitched together from the video of our Twitch streams. I promise the audio quality improves as we upgrade our gear, and I'm so excited for you to listen to this campaign. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, gore, blood and bloodletting, a refugee crisis, body dysmorphia, as well as mentions of Igor, riots, and drug and alcohol use. Arc 1, Episode 3, Like God's Hand Off the Sun, from the poem It Singing Over the Glass Field Comes in the Malevolent Volume by Justin Philip Reed. A wing-spun scholar, rust-stained beak, feathers like sky, eyes like the sun, the freedom of running, the freedom of open field. In the darkness and solitude of her patchwork tent, a half-orc woman carefully unfurls the scroll that was handed to her a mere handful of moments ago. Mercy, the leader of the mercenary group, the Hounds of Mercy, reads the contents of the scroll, her eyebrows knitting dense and dense, until she lowers the parchment, takes a deep breath, and mutters out loud to no one. Oka, what the fuck? And now, several hundred feet away from Ujad, we find Oka, traveling across the arid flatlands of northern Talmud, accompanied by the rest of their party. The jagged peaks of the Godspine mountain range looms far to the south, their distant heights piercing the soft underbelly of the now sunless sky. Miles of parched shrublands, open horizons, and sprawling dunes of red hills stretches out before you. Dr. Hitsaguten Oluso, your charge is 40 days away. What do the four of you say to each other on the eve of your departure into this uncertain journey? I think Dewey's spending some alone time, actually. V is going to be in a space, try to watch like the entire party as much as possible, but then also like looking around. She is purposefully like and letting out large sighs every once in a while because she really wants to do something fun and exciting, but she's 
realizes it's probably not a good time. She's bored, <laughs> performing boredom for everybody while also keeping a watchful eye. I think Oka, similarly to Manaya and Dewey, is keeping their distance a little bit, but upon hearing V's 14th sigh of the evening, they're gonna like turn a little bit. Like, you really have gotta get used to the cactuses. It's just sand. It's just fucking sand and dirt, all right? You get used to it after a while, okay? By day three, you're gonna be fine. Okay, but I'm a people person. I like to be around people. So much more exciting things happen. And can't we, is there nothing we can take to like hurry this trip along? Do we not have, do we have to walk so far? Unless you can find us a stable. It's a, it's a long walk. Not one I haven't made before though. We can stop in some fun spots if you want. Maybe but get killed by all the monsters that are running around. I don't really think this is a good time to uh, sightsee. Not that there's anything up here to see anyway. Dewey's calling out in the distance. I think the, the flora is pretty interesting. I, I'm excited to see the, the variety of cacti. <laughs> the last time I saw a cacti, I saw it a little too close and personal, so I, I will keep my distance from cacti this time. Thank you. So your bantering persists as you trek across the dry, flat, red earth of the Badlands in Northern Talmud. So as the four of you walk, I'm going to just very quickly narrate and say the six days pass. So why don't the four of you just want to describe to me like how these days pass as you start to settle into an uneasy routine of setting up camp, let's say, setting up watch, packing up camp in the morning and setting out. I think a suggestion that Oka might have is that they walk for several hours in the dawn and then several hours in the dusk to like take camp or shorter rest in the mid-afternoon and, and in the darkest parts of the night. I think there's a lot of Oka also casting light constantly all the time. So six days pass and the four of you take this routine, you travel, you know, in the dawn, you travel in the dusk, you're very careful during the day, you're very careful at night. All day you sort of walk and walk and walk, and you pass many shanty towns during this first six days of your travel, similar to Ujad, a patchwork collection of tents and shacks nod wordlessly to the handful of other pillars that you sort of meet along this flat stretch of road that hugs the god spine to the south. And at night, of course, you set up camp, you swaddle up in furs and coats to ward off the bitter plunging starless cold the wintry night and you also occasionally hear the screaming of strange creatures in the distance and you set a wary nervous watch schedule keeping one hand on the hilt of your weapon at all times so in the middle of the day, on the sixth day, your party is trekking through a flat, open plateau. A few scrubs, you know, dotting the horizon, a few baobab trees, spiny ocotillos, but other than that, nothing, nothing much, you know, aside from an outcropping of rock about 50 feet to your east. All in all, an unremarkable day until, uh, uh, uh make a perception check. <laughs> Not 20, oh my fuck. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Shut up. Oh my god. So V got a nat 20 for the first time in her life. What about the rest of you? I got a 21. A gentleman's 8. I got a 7. Dewey and Oka, the two of you notice that it's getting it's getting darker for some reason. Maybe there are just some clouds passing over the sun and you, you forget that the sun doesn't exist anymore. Manaya and V, the two of you notice something interesting. Not only is it getting dimmer kind of suddenly in the middle of the day, the, the sky is sunless, but there's this sort of like ever-present light coming from everywhere and nowhere at once. The the light around you seems to dim, right? Like someone is, is sliding down the faders on a dimmer. And then the temperature just drops 
And moments later, a chill wind seems to pick up, and you, Manaya, notice dense, thick clouds gathering in the sky. And because you got it 21, that's pretty high. So I'm gonna let you also notice that the ground seems to tremble just a little bit. It's nothing like the earthquake that hit you in the butte, right, with the copper stewards, but it's very subtle and seems to come from deep within the earth. And the winds continue to pick up. Yeah, Manai's gonna turn to the party. She's gonna say, winds are changing. Looks, feels big. We need cover. Don't go under anything. Let's get to that outcropping. So, Manaya, you turn to your party, you tell them to move. How do the rest of you respond? Okay, stubbornly squints up at the sky for a little while, and they're like, it's always like this, right? Trust the sailor. I know the winds. You also did just say, don't go under anything, and you suggested that we go under an outcrop. Look, follow me. <laughs> Uh, do He's you follow? Like, I trust giant woman who's never been wrong yet. <laughs> so the three of you follow Manaya to this outcropping of rock 50 feet away. <laughs> and as you sort of like hustle, hustle your way over, now even those of you with very low perception rolls, you notice that the winds are picking up. And Oka and Dewey, you notice that, yeah, it's getting dimmer because clouds are condensing in the sky. And then it begins to snow fast, thick violent flurries of snow and hail begin to buffet your party, obscuring your vision and sort of threatening to blow hats off heads and packs off of shoulders. Your teeth begin to chatter and breath comes out immediately in thick, ghostly clouds. It's almost as cold as the desert night, which is saying a lot. If you don't get to that cover soon, which is now maybe like you're halfway there, 25 feet away, you will very likely get hypothermia or worse. What do you do? Is the ground still shaking? You mentioned it was trembling a little bit earlier. It continues to tremble just a little, but only you seem to be able little. to feel it, Manaya, with your high perception. It's very subtle, which is kind of odd. Fuck it, let's take the chance. We're going under the outcropping. Okay, all of you are ducking underneath the outcropping. Why don't you just make a general uh, dexterity check for me? 17. 17 from Oka. 11. 11 from V. 7. 7 from Dewey. <laughs> 10. 10 from Manaya. Okay, Oka, you are able to you like do like a baseball skid like underneath the outcropping and you like you dodge the worst of the hail. <laughs> um, Dewey and Manaya, the two of you get buffeted a little, but you get blown about. You know, it's hard. You maybe trip and stumble and fall, but you help help yourself. You help each other up and you you hide underneath. Um, and Oka, with your high roll, you're able to sort of usher and gesture for everyone to hide underneath the outcropping. And because of your fast decision making, Manaya, you are able to weather the worst of this blizzard? Sort of watch the rest of the wind and the snow gust and howl and scream past um, the outcropping that you're huddling underneath. I would like to actually take out my dueling bow and I'll just kind of like drag it across the top of my knuckles and I would like to activate my my crimson right damage so that my sword lights on fire. Oh cool! So why don't you lose some HP and describe to me what it looks like as your sword lights up. The blood itself actually just like flows right into the sword and then liquid itself ignites uh, with a little puff of breath from Oka they go and it goes Whoa, very cool I really really like that your sword ignites you breathe out like your fire breather uh, and then your sword ignites and you the four of you immediately feel the warmth from this uh, and as the four of you huddle this blizzard churns for five minutes ten 
I'm gonna keep an eye above us at the outcropping because sure the ground was shaking. If mm. it's an earthquake, it's gonna it's gonna fall. Totally, Manaya. Why don't you roll survival for that? The blizzard continues to churn and scream and howl, and it gets worse and worse and thicker and thicker. You can't see like farther than ten feet out in front of you. That's how thick it becomes. And even though the outcropping offers some shelter, it's not a lot. And the fire, thankfully, because it's magical, doesn't go out. But it does. The flames do whip from the wind. Manaya, what did you get? 11 for survival. No cracks form, you know, the outcropping. It doesn't seem in danger of collapsing on you, but it does <laughs> it does shake a little bit, which worries you a little. At 11, you can also tell blizzards don't happen in deserts like this, especially not in the middle of the day. This is extremely weird. I think Oka says something like that. They like, cro- like you know, cross their arms with their swords still like moving a little bit. And they say, I lived out here for five fucking years. There's no fucking blizzards in the desert. This is really weird. Oka, you would know that this is this is really, really weird. And is probably related to whatever, you know, is going on with the stars. The four of you weather the rest of the storm. An hour, maybe an hour and a half passes. The storm eventually dies down. The four of you sort of tentatively peek your heads out. You see like a thick coating of snow on the ground. It's left like almost a foot on the ground around you. And as you look around, you notice that it just seems to be a, a particular like big circle of snow. Almost like clouds happened right above where you were. Poof because you see that the snow doesn't extend past uh, this particular perimeter. I'm gonna cast Mage Hand and just like scoop up some of the snow and bring it closer to us to look at and stuff. Okay, you scoop up the snow to examine it. A ghostly hand appears and scoops up some snow and, and floats over to you under the outcropping and you look at it. Oka's gonna eat some of it. Okay. For sure. Okay, roll investigation. With my mouth. With your mouth. Roll <laughs> investigation with your mouth. <laughs> Unnatural 20. Unnatural 20. It tastes like snow. I have some experience with poisons and corrosive materials because of my bonded bloodletting. It is not poisoned. It's normal. Uh, I let my mage end just dissipate and the snow falls on the ground. If we're done playing in the snow, we really should get going. We've lost a good amount of time from the storm. Can I see if the snow is melting? It does seem to be, like, melting because the ground is hot, but the snow is cold. Before your very eyes, it seems to be seeping into the ground. Oka's gonna pack some of it into their water skin. Oh, that's just smart. to fill it back. Yeah, that's yeah. smart. Yeah, fill up your water skins with this weird <laughs> snow and kind of nervously you heed Manai's words and you keep moving. As we're walking, can I use my hunter's bane to make an intelligence check to try to recall any information about monsters that bring environmental effects? Yeah, why don't you roll intelligence for that? A 19. A 19! You do know of certain magical beasts that are so powerful that their very presence can shape the environment around them. The extinct dragons are an example of such beasts, but you know that such creatures would be, first of all, extremely powerful. Only the most powerful class of beasts have environmental effects, lair effects, right? Um, That would affect the physical world around them. And second of all, this seems like a very sudden, like, onset, and then it just sort of ended. You know that any magical beast that brings the sort of environmental hazard would stay. Like, if they move into an area, then the, you know, the world around them would become shaped by their presence. So unless this was a flyover by, like, a a blizzard naga or something, it'd be very, Mm -hmm. very weird for this to just boom, boom, and disappear. Very likely Mm -hmm. not caused by a beast, based on your 19. So moving on, the four of you travel for the rest of the day. Nothing else remarkable or to that degree happens. You set up camp, you warily watch, but you continue moving. So the first week of your travels passes like this. Strange little anomalies. The sky is starless at night and sunless during the day. You notice, you know, as you're walking, a few cacti 
high, baobab trees look wilted for no reason, you know? And you notice that as you're, as you're walking along, the tra travelers look extremely guarded. And you notice a lot of them, especially as the days go by, seem to be traveling with cell swords, bodyguards that they've hired to protect them. Their blades slick with blood sort of leering at you as they pass. Uh, and you sort of, the four of you sort of enter the second week of your travels, right? The second batch of eight days with some trepidation and determination to get to the end of this journey. And as you encounter more and more folks, you notice that they mostly seem to be travelers either from the commune of Morose, based on the fact that they're swaddled up in furs and sort of like the paints that are on their face from the north going into Talmud and vice versa, where travelers from Talmud, you know, wrapped up, protective gear to protect from the heat, moving up to Morose for some reason. Perhaps you feel relieved by this crush of people and you feel less alone, or perhaps you feel unsettled. After all, Oka, you in particular will notice, because you've been out here for five years, that these aren't the merry-faced voyagers that you're used to on desert highways. None of these. The majority of these folks, instead of merchants, adventurers, bards, etc., the majority of these folk are refugees. They all seem to be displaced from various natural and unnatural disasters that have either destroyed their homes by the look of sadness on their faces, or they're fleeing from the nameless night terrors that are plaguing their village for one reason or another. And you know this because your party encounters a few travelers of note. One of them you encounter on your ninth day of travel. She is a tiefling woman and she is traveling with her dragonborn child from the Republic of Talmud. The two of them are journeying to the commune to stay with their extended family after their hamlet was destroyed, they tell you, by a sudden sinkhole. The mother, this tiefling woman, stops to ask your party, her voice kind of low and embarrassed, could I, uh, Please have a few of your rations. Ours was ruined by this uh, sudden deluge of rain. So if you have some rations to spare, my child and I would really appreciate it. Of Here's course. Your... Yeah, starts going through our rations. Great. Naya and Dewey, the two of you, dig through your rations. You hand this tiefling woman a few like cans of beans and whatnot. She goes, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I feel really embarrassed by taking this. Where are the four of you headed? We're on our way to the chasm. Chasm. Have you heard any news from that region? No, we're we're not going there. We're moving kind of parallel to it, though. I suppose we're going to stay with my mom in in the commune. Our village was taken by a sinkhole. I I do bring news from Talmud, though. I hear of disturbances in the capital ever since Yudabathi bless us. Ever since the vanishing. Things have been so hard and so strange. No one knows what's going on. The consuls, I hear, and all the senators are in a flurry. But no one can explain what's happening. My local priest, he said to just keep praying to Yudabati, but I know that he... he can't reach them. Why are the four of you headed to the chasm? It's dangerous out there, even more dangerous than the Badlands. As much as we would love to return one story with another, we are on some uh, personal business. But I will tell you this, though you may not be able to see them, you should believe in hope. Thank you. She kind of looks at you. Why don't you roll persuasion with advantage? Fifteen. Okay. The tiefling woman just sort of goes, thank you. It's barely been a week since the vanishing, but it feels like people are already losing hope about our gods. It's nice to see folk like you carrying the torch. Isn't that right, Baobe? And she sort of like pats the head of her child, who's maybe like nine or 10, red dragonborn. She just sort of lets out a puff of like fire from her nostrils. She's like clinging onto her mom's dress. She sort of looks at the four of you kind of warily. She goes, well, thank you so much for the rations. We better get going. Of course, safe travels. 
Thank you, and you as well. May Yudabati bless you, protect you. She sort of inclines her head, and she moves on. As we also start to walk away, Oka kind of sidles up beside Manaya. They, like, fold their arms over their chest. Do you really think that? Think what? You really think that they're still up there? Ask me when we get to the chasm. I'll have your answer then. Hmm. Fine. I don't forget, though. Which is a dangerous thing, Manaya. Hope is a very dangerous thing. Noka moves off a little bit. So the your party continues moving and doing your routine, settling into it, getting to know each other better and better as your days go by. So why don't you describe to me as the days pass one day, another day, and another day until it's your 16th day of travel. Why don't the four of you tell me about how it feels like internally, how your character is thinking and feeling about traveling with everyone else. Have you been opening up? Have you been sort of staying reticent? V has been keeping a distance noticeably watches what everyone else is doing. Inside, she is feeling like just passing all these travelers and not thinking about ripping any of them off (laughs) uh, has been a change of heart for me. And so there's something brewing in her. Like, she wants to say something, but I don't think she's quite there yet. Mm. Oka is a little bit like, they're very focused most of the time. But if someone gets them talking, they'll really just kind of like keep going. They're like, oh, right, I remember how to talk. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, right over there was the one time that I found this da 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 da. But it never extends any deeper than that. And they're very clear that it never extends deeper than that. Like there's stories about them or stories about things that they've done or stories about things that they've heard, but they're never about them. And they never ask either. I feel like Dewey's also kind of feeling the way V is. To him, it's kind of like an information gathering trip. He's there always observing. He's glad for these people who are keeping him safe. Super capable. He's willing to share the information he knows, but he doesn't really feel the need to open up. So Manaya is a very practical person who has spent much of her life on ships and traveling and is very used to downtime. And so, like, if Oka points a direction that we need to go, she'll be the first person to basically lead the charge as soon as she knows where she's going. But she knows and values small talk, basically, keeping the situation as light as it can without making light of a bad situation, if that makes sense. Mm. So I think at least once a day, she would come to each member of the party and just strike up small talk. Something light, something small, nothing like, so, uh... Are your parents dead? No, no. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, none of that. Aren't all our parents dead? Isn't that how D&D works? Oof. <laughs> Yikes. So, Manaya, actually, I really, really like what you said about Manaya trying to strike up small talk. So, I would like you, as Manaya, to pick one other character that you're trying to strike up small talk with, right? The morning <laughs> of the 16th day of travel. So, uh, Kadu, was it? That's correct. Uh, you can call me Dewey. Dewey, yes. If it's easier. Forgive me if I'm uh, being too forward about this, but you look Wuhan. Are you from the Southern Islands? Uh, I spend most of my time around the research lab, the URL. Oh. Or I did. Not so much anymore. Ah, research trip. Oh, yes, I'm I'm from the... I'm not from Awanui, but I'm, I'm on that island there. I live on the coast. Lived. Yeah. 
as the two of you are sort of talking to each other, Oka and V, the two of you are also like packing up camp, right? Let's say on the other side of the campfire and you sort of like overhear this. Oka, roll a d100 for me. Okay. What's going on? Uh, 13. Okay. Oka, as this is happening, you you hear you hear a little chip 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 I look in my backpack. Yeah. And you see sort of sitting at the bottom of your backpack, it's belly very oh, okay. very large and engorged on your rations is some sort of desert mouse. You motherfucker. <laughs> I close the bag. V, you hear the squeaking. It squeaks, you squeak, and you hear Oka go, you motherfucker, and then the squeaking stops. Are you are you okay, Oka? What uh what you got in the bag there? What do I have in the bag? My rations. I have my rations in my bag. Oka looks a little deranged. <laughs> you seem a little on edge for having food inside your bag. What do you need? Is this a moment? Do you need help? Is there are this a reaching out moment? Is... <laughs> Are you coming up? Do you need something, friend? You seem not right. I'll need to stop in the next town real fast. I don't particularly like to eat mice, but I'm not above it. Oh, uh, you hear a squeak, 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 squeak from, inside, from inside the back. Do I need to read your thoughts? Just say, do you have a mouse in there? You have not speak words that make sense to me. <sighs> okay, fine. Okay, fine. I accidentally left my pack open like a fucking three years old and don't know how to tie a knot. And now there's a goddamn mouse that ate all my goddamn food, okay? And it's in here. It's in here. Would you like help getting rid of it if it's in there? Still with your food? Well, no, all my food's gone. It's gonna be my food now. Okay, you enjoy desert mouse. That sounds delicious. Uh, V, make a dexterity save. Oh, God. <laughs> Ooh, uh, 21. You hear as uh, you're kind of, you're a little distracted. You know, Amanaya and Dewey, you're also talking, so you're a little distracted. Uh, but V, your ear, your big elven ear perks up as you hear a, like, <laughs> Uh, get louder and louder, uh, and you, you sort of out of instinct just dive, dive to the right as a, a zebra uh, sort of like pummels, pummels past, you know, it sort of tramples over your tent. It has a saddle on and a bridle, but there's no rider on it. And it's sort of like also carrying like a cart. A cart is hitched to it. And you sort of hear like moments like the zebra like just sort of runs past you, tramples over your tent, and like the, the cart just sort of screeches to a halt as a zebra suddenly stops and turns and looks at your party, sort of snorts and starts to paw the ground. And behind you hear a, uh, you see a dwarven man running, very like red-faced, like moments like chasing after the zebra. And he, he's dressed kind of, he's a little portly. He's very clean shaven, especially for a dwarf. And he, he's like running, he's like dressed in, in, in clothes that are pretty emblematic of the Republic of Talmud, but a pretty well-dressed man. Actually, he has like some silk on. He has like some jewels embedded in his robe. He goes, oh, excuse me, stripes, stop, bad zebra, bad, stop. I'm so, uh, I'm so sorry. Nab the rain as fast as possible. Okay, roll. So that the zebra Roll, roll animal handling. Manaya, do we be? Are you, are you responding in a particular way? I would like to go to the the dwarf coming up and stop and like try to relax him. You say he looks pretty well to do, right? Oh, yeah, he looks pretty well to do. 
I might try to rob him. <laughs> okay, uh, V, you go up to this dwarf, and he goes, Oh, I, I'm so sorry about my zebra. She's just, she spooks easy. Saw a cactus, thought it was a monster. We've run into a few monsters at this point. The world's gone to shit, don't you think? Oka, with your 12, you are able to grab the reins. The zebra looks angry, but it allows you to take the reins. <laughs> Uh, its eyes look kind of wild. And V, as you approach this man, how are you trying to rob him? Well, I'm gonna be like, I'm assuming he's probably a little winded from all this running, so I'm like helping him just like, just breathe, relax. You just take deep breaths. And like, while I'm doing that, I'm like, you know, I'm close, I'm I'm handsy. I'm uh -huh. handsy on it. Uh -huh. And uh, reach behind and see what I can grab. He goes, oh, uh, roll slide of hand, let's say contesting his perception. 20. Yeah, that is more than sufficient. You grab a pouch, it feels, that's sort of strapped to the back and it feels heavy. And you're able to sort of like pass it behind your own back and maybe slip it into your pocket. Maybe you can examine this later. And he goes, oh, thank you. Thank you for calming me down. I, I'm prone to anxiety. You there, young person, looks at you, Oka. Thank you so much for grabbing Stripes' reins. Do you think you could bring, bring her back to me? You can't walk 10 feet? Uh, I suppose I could. Thank you. And this man steps forward and he sort of waddles over to where Stripes is and goes, There, there, old girl, there, there. Pats the zebra's neck and says, Oh, I've, this is so embarrassing. I haven't even introduced myself. I appreciate it. My name is Liao, uh, Liao Kumar. I'm a merchant from Dabathati. And you would know Dabathati as the capital of the Republic. I'm actually, I'm on my way to the court with Stripes here, but damn girl got spooked by a cactus. Listen, you're, four of you aren't on your way to the capital, are you? Oh, no, 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 no. Quite the opposite direction, actually. Oh, good. I just got out in time, if you ask me. Oh? What's going on? Haven't you heard? The riots? Riots? Yeah! I had heard that the, the government was up in arms, but the people rioting? Yes! Especially the miners! The miners are going crazy! Saw one of them with my own eyes. I saw one of them take out some other poor guy's eye with an axe! Pickaxe! Bloody, terrible, gruesome stuff. People getting injured. Oh, no. Few people got, I, I heard of, few people got killed, getting trampled. Apparently they're just angry, you know, about the state of things generally. And he sort of gestures at the sunless sky. I think that's kind of an overreaction if you ask me. I mean, I'm angry about what's going on and I haven't killed anyone. What with Yudabathi not responding to our priests and all that, I get it, but still it was terrible. Riots have been hitting the mines almost every night since the cataclysm. Raheem's trying his damn best, but I don't know if it'll be enough. Just stay away from Dabathati if you know what's good for you. Whole city's going to the dogs. We'll be sure to steer clear. Good. Say, the, the four of you don't happen to be swords, right? We're out of commission right now, unfortunately. We're on business. Damn it. I tried to save some dead. money, skimped out on hiring a bodyguard, but we've had a few close calls already, haven't we, Stripes? I know you're out of commission, but would one of you like to escort me to the court? I could pay a handsome fee. Look, I'll even have the upfront deposit. And he reaches behind his back and goes, what? What the? And he sort of like does like a little pat, pat down. He goes, what? Where did Stripes! Sort of blames the zebra who just sort of snorts and paws the ground. So in this conversation, V has turned her back to the conversation because she is so thinking about all that potential money for a potentially easy gig, and she's like chewing on her own finger because she is so like, I want that money, so. He goes, uh, you know what, never mind, never mind. Stripes and I have made it this far, we'll be fine, you know. We find our dead bodies on your way back, though. Give me a nice burial, won't you? Of 
Pause. (laughs) Gallows humor, my good friend. It's the only thing that'll get us through these dark times. Well, I appreciate you calming down my zebra. I'm sorry about trampling over your tent. Here, have a gold piece for your troubles. And he sort of reaches into his uh, other pocket. Oka flicks you a, a a gold piece. Ah, uh, you sell swords, such misers. Just be careful, don't go to the capital, okay? Riots, people are going crazy. He takes he takes the zebra and he, he begins to walk, walk, walk stripes away. As soon as he's out of earshot, Oka makes like a face. That's been a long time coming. The miners have been talking about rising up for years now. Oh? I spent some time down there when I was a little bit uh, short on cash before I joined the hounds, so. So based on your background, Oka, you would also know that the miners were talking about rising up, but based on Liao's description of the uprisings, the violence seemed to be kind of indiscriminate. So it would be Mm -hmm. strange that they would also attack fellow peasants or commoners, Mm -hmm. you know, that would be very out of character for them. Oka says what they say confidently uh, and then kind of like worries their lip a little bit, you know, chew it a little, thinking that over, but they don't say anything more. As soon as we're out of earshot of both the dwarf and the zebra, Manaya's going to turn to V and say, How much? V pulls out the pouch and, <laughs> and does what? investigation. You open up the pouch and it is filled with glittering uncut gems. You process these gems, they will be worth anywhere from like 50 to 200 gold. It's hard to tell, but it's uncut right now. So if you just sold the pouch uncut, unprocessed, you'd probably only be able to fetch 30 gold tops. Can I still see the merchant? Yeah, he's like, he's, 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 he, the zebra's slow, yeah. I keep, like, looking between V and the merchant and trying to figure out whether or not I should... Can I see if I notice Dewey having this look on... Yeah, that's, on I think that's fine. You notice Dewey having a moral conundrum, let's say, that you have <laughs> yeah, imposed I'm gonna, upon I'm gonna cast message straight into Dewey's brain and be like, Look, friend, when times are like this, we all must do what we must. I promise to put this to good use. While this is happening, since Manaya doesn't know magic is happening, uh, she's going to walk over to Dewey and say, Dewey, was it? That man was much better well off. I don't think this will make much of a difference. And we need to make up for the rations we lost, don't we? The lawful goods justification of robbery. (laughs) And and then I will say, I was personally hoping that it was rations when I took it so that I could get rid of Roka. Oh, you can't eat gems. (laughs) I know, I'm disappointed like you are. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and we're going to end that scene on that note. You continue with your travels and you enter the third week of your journey. During day 22 of your travels, we're over the halfway point now, something happens. Why don't the four of you decide and tell me what time of day it is when this thing happens? Mid-morning? Okay, roll a d100 for me, and this is going to determine the topic of your conversation that your group is talking about when this thing happens. I'd be rolling d100s today. Do it! Roll! Uh, 62. The four of you are venting as you're walking mid-morning across the arid flats. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Who would charge five silver for one pack of tobacco? That's fucking ridiculous. These these fucking people think that, oh, just because we're in the middle of a goddamn disaster, there's still tobacco growing, okay? I know it. I see it everywhere. This is ridiculous. I can't believe I spent that much money. This is unbelievable. Scam artists, every single one of them. <laughs> Look at, pointedly at me. 
I was looking at myself. <laughs> uh, so, okay, you're on, you're on this rant, right? It's mid-morning, let's say it's maybe like 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh, the sunless sky beaming down lifelessly upon you. When you, when the four of you encounter something unusual. Okay, you're just wrapping up your rant about tobacco prices being way too high. When, when the, the four of you begin to pass by a, a shantytown, these are fairly common. This isn't the weird thing about it. You pass by a shantytown, which is, you know, similar to Ujad, but there are a few noticeable differences that make it stand out. First of all, the perimeter of this shantytown has been heavily reinforced. So instead of just sort of like simple like wooden fence or like a few stakes in the ground here and there, you see spiked wire, bricks that have been piled up, as well as signs that sort of say, keep out in a bunch of different languages plastered all around the perimeter of this shantytown. You also see the bodies of dead creatures speared on sharpened stakes. And with a jolt, the four of you actually recognize these monsters. They resemble the bipedal, fleshy, toothy chicken monsters that I described that attacked you and the copper stewards in the butte. There are no fewer than seven or eight of them. And the next unusual thing is everyone in this shantytown seems to be outside of their tents and they're all congregated in front of the same person. A half-elf man is sort of standing on top of a makeshift pulpit at the edge of the town. And he's sort of shouting at the gathered villagers who appear to be very angry at him for some reason. So as you're passing this, this is you know happening, happening close enough that you can see all these details, but so far that you can't really hear what he's saying. What do you do? Oka is in the middle of talking about how fucked up it is that they only got one pack of tobacco for five silver. When they see the monsters and they let out a rather uncharacteristic squeal uh, of joy, <laughs> And they like literally like break out into a sprint, like hands already digging into their like pack to like grab vials and stuff. And they're just absolutely checking the motherfuck out of the dead monsters. Okay. What about the rest of you? It's a very odd response from Oka. <laughs> um, Monster hunters. Not even right. once. Right. <laughs> He starts to notice the stuff, and since Oka's already running up with joy to these chicken bodies, I'm just going to stroll closer and see if I can understand what's going on. Okay. Manaya Dewey? I want to join the crowd at the back of the crowd. Sounds good. I'm also going to close to the crowd and try to gauge whether or not people are going to get physical or violent, or if they're just shouting. Oka, roll investigation. V, also roll investigation on the chickens. Dewey, make a perception check, and Manaya, also make a perception check. <gasps> Natural 20. Ooh. Yeah. The total uh, on that. 24. Okay, wow. Thir- 22. 22. 21. 21. 13. So, Oka, you go up to these chicken things that have been speared on these stakes, and as you approach, yeah, they look pretty much identical to the ones you fought. Minor differences to sort of differentiate them as individuals, but they all look pretty dead. There are like flies buzzing around them. Are there any that aren't what we fought? Uh, no, they all seem to be no. similar to what you fought. Yeah, they all seem to be the same. It's also uh, sort of what you get V with your role, though you can't really tell the difference between them. You're just sort of hit by this wall of putrid decay smell and it's kind of nasty. Dewey and Manaya, as the two of you approach the crowd, Manaya, yeah, they're starting to get kind of angry at this half-elf. And you can tell with your perception checks that this half-elf, the way they're dressed, they're not native to the this shantytown. They don't belong. You can hear this elf going, are you unhappy with your body? Have you lost magic and wish to regain it? 
Are you dissatisfied with your weakness, your slowness, your frailty? Then wake up and transform. The eight will not help you. The old gods are gone. They are dead. And a true god rises from their ashes. All worship the chrysalis. Children of the chrysalis, arise. And as this person's uh, rant, a sermon, let's say, goes on, but now you can see the, the shantytown people getting angrier and angrier, uh, and you hear someone go, you fucking blasphemous, uh, and a, ro a rotten onion gets tossed at this half-elf, but surprisingly enough, he very dexterously deflects it, and a tomato gets thrown at him, and he deflects it as well, which only seems to infuriate the crowd more as more and more rotten vegetables begin to pelt at him. But with, with a lot of dexterity, he just goes... He's like, like that scene from The Matrix, Neo, who's just like dodging the blows. You know, I can't believe I never thought of starting a cult for this potential scam. I love this guy. I should go talk to him. Oka's gonna watch tentatively from a, a greater distance than the others, I think. I'll be back too. <laughs> I think Manaya's ever experienced something like this before, so she's gonna stay out of it. Spend much time on land, and there there have never been a whole lot of heretical street worshippers. So As V walks past, I do he like grabs for her, but like misses. <laughs> <She's> like, <"Well." laughs> V, you walk toward your destiny. As you approach this fence, you see that this person, even though they're deflecting all these vegetables, the crowd is beginning to surge up, starting to be like, get the fuck out, fuck out of here. You know, like you fucking sacrilegious, you know, piece of shit. Telling this person a GTFO essentially. And the half-elf goes, fine, fine. I know when I'm not wanted. I understand when the word of the chrysalis falls upon ignorant ears. I shall take my leave and grab their makeshift pulpit and they hop the fence. Uh, they hop over the barbed wire, which is quite impressive actually, and they land right in front of you, V. He's a young, a young man, maybe in his like mid-twenties. He has clean-shaven face except for a soul patch, and he sort of, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> he has this like curly, curly black hair <laughs> and he, he, these like bright uh, red eyes. He goes, oh! Well, hello there, brother. Uh, we're having a rough day at the pulpit, and while we're talking, I want to cast Detect Thoughts. Okay, so it just sort of works at the surface level, right? Perhaps, even if I'm spurned by the masses, perhaps if I can just reach one person, it will all be worth it. That's sort of what, what you're getting. I would like to push deeper, and I want to know, like, I'm looking for a memory of, like, when he decided to do this. Wisdom save against a DC of 11. 11. You plunge deeper, and it's like a needle plunging into the depths of someone's brain, almost like a lobotomy. And he sort of reels backward as you suddenly get flashes of his memory. You see him shaking hands with a priest dressed in these like greenish robes, wearing this mask that sort of looks like a butterfly. The robes are also styled to look like wings. From his perspective, you're looking up at this priest, he's sort of like shaking his hand and you can sort of tell that this man whose brain you're probing is, is lying prone on what appears to be some sort of hospital bed. You can also hear him go <laughs> like coughing, like he's sick. 
Uh, and then you flash again and you see this priest put a finger on his forehead and then you sort of hear him go, Ugh, and you can sort of see his, his vision shake. And then the next uh, vision you get is him standing up looking at himself in the mirror, uh, he looks sickly, but he's starting to look better. And then you flash again, he looks better in the mirror. Boom, you flash again, he looks completely healthy. And he sort of looks like so ecstatic and he hugs this priest. Uh, these images disappear in front of your eyes. And the man stumbles backward. He goes, what, what, what did you do? It must've been the chrysalis. It must've, it must've connected us. For a moment I could see inside your mind. It was unbelievable. I'd never, Experienced anything like that before? Just, who, who was that man in the in the green robes? Okay, roll deception with uh, advantage because I like that. And I'll also give you inspiration for that because that was nice. Ten. And that is still sufficient. He goes. Oh, are you also chosen? That man I, that you I... saw in my memories—that is a <clears throat> a priest of the chrysalis who has blessed me, who has a removed my blood lung disease. Ever since I was a little boy, I've been plagued with this disease. I haven't been able to leave my bed, but this, these priests cured me. And now I travel the Badlands, spreading their message. Clearly this was meant to be. And he, he sort of embraces you in a hug. I've been so sheltered from ever since all this stuff has happened that this is so wonderful to meet someone else who's found this path that I did not have words for until this very moment. Oh, sister, my name is Balraj. Balraj Show. I'm a child of the chrysalis. Have you not been inducted yet? No, I've been all alone for quite some time. Then it is certainly the strings of fate pulling us together. And he sort of goes, you must come with me. You must come with me to Dabathati. I wish I could, but unfortunately, I cannot stop going where I'm going. I'm going to a very important uh, meeting of, it's a family reunion, essentially. Let's, oh. We'll call this family reunion. It's, it's hard to describe where I come from. Things are a little strange. Sister, but, sister, what is your name? Vida, you can call me Vida. Vida? Well, Sister Vida, listen, I understand that this family reunion is important, but don't you understand? You don't need a family. You have a family with the chrysalis. We take care of each other. Listen to me, Vida. Is there something about your body that you're unsatisfied with? Perhaps you're a little clumsy. Perhaps you're a little weak. Perhaps, perhaps you, you had magic before, but I've lost it. Is there something you're unsatisfied with, Vida? You know, I've always, it's, it's, this is a personal thing, but I have always wished to just be brawnier. Like my, my friend over there, she's, you know, she's got muscles. I've always wanted that. Uh, your you friend? Like, if of we course. play together right now, perhaps I could uh, change? Well, I, I don't have the powers yet to bestow the blessings of the chrysalis, but we can make you strong. Look at me. My blood lung disease has been cured by the priest, and I've been gifted with dexterity and agility I'm... as well due to my devout service to the chrysalis. We can give you strength. And he sort of raises his voice to address the rest of you. Uh, Oka, Dewey, and Manaya. We can give you power. We can give you magic. We can give you whatever you want. I, wait, I, I feel something strange happening to me right now. I, I feel 
I feel stronger. I feel, and I'm gonna cast disguise self to just make myself like bigger, <laughs> like, um, just more okay. muscular. You cast this illusion to make yourself get swole, and Balraj <laughs> takes a few steps back and goes, oh, "Holy chrysalis." Vida, Sister Vida, you must be a chosen one. You must be an ordained priest of the chrysalis. You must come to Dabathati. You must be a prophet, and you don't even know it. The three of you should bow down and kowtow to Sister Vida. There is a prophet that walks among you. Sister Vida, it's time to go. Give me a dress. I will be there as soon as possible. I will. I just have one thing to take care of, and I will. I will sprint. The, I feel the chrysalis has given me the power to just sprint across Andake in just a few hours. I understand. You are a prophet, so you must do what the chrysalis commands you to. We are headquartered in Dabathati. Uh, okay. He writes it down and hands you an address. He says, "Please, please come to us. We will welcome you with open arms." I knew I coming be. out here was the right move. Thank you, Chrysalis, for guiding my way. Keep Priestess Vita safe. Safe for the Chrysalis. Uh-huh. You are in the presence of a divine, and you do not oh, even know it. And you're about to be in the presence of my fist if you don't move along. <laughs> Such angry words from a non-believer. But ashes to ashes, and we all fall down. And Balraj sort of picks up his pulpit, tucks it under his arm, and he leaves while bowing to you, V. It's been 22 days since the four of you have set out on your travels to reach Dr. Oluso. And you begin to settle down for camp that night. Why don't you tell me what your watch order is? So Oka has a two-person tent. I don't know if anyone else has a tent, but I imagine it's probably been two and two. Two sleeping, two watching. Makes sense. Manaya and V, the two of you take watch that night. Where have you set up your camp? What are some like features nearby? Large rocks. We can't get like completely surrounded. Great. Okay, so you have built your campsite up against the edge of a large protruding boulder. And the two of you are sort of swaddled in furs and coats as you sort of like nurse a low flame that sort of wards off the darkness. Two of you make a perception check for me, please. Never had to make a campfire for light. Strange to try to keep it so big. 23. V, are you going to re-roll or are you going to keep it? I'm going to stick with three? my three then. Okay, you stick with your three. V, you don't notice anything at all. Manaya, you notice something odd. Sort of like on the edges of your vision, <clears throat> the campfire light doesn't extend very far. But at this point, you're like, you've gotten used to looking into the darkness. And you sort of hear it before you sort of see the silhouette. I hear sort of like what sounds to be a person stumbling around in the dark. <clears throat> Assuming we have some sort of code, I'm going to motion to V to stay put, and Manaya is going to take out her axe quietly and approach. Uh, let's say 10 feet in front of you, you see a person, human woman? You're not really sure? She's naked, green skin, greenish skin. She's sort of like stumbling back and forth, almost like she's drunk, something going on with her. A little unstable. What do you do? Manaya is going to rush over. Uh, put her axe away with the torch in one hand and sort of say, whoa, 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 here, come on. Okay, as soon as Please, you get uh, like walk. I don't know. close to this woman, uh, she sort of looks up and through like a gap in her long, stringy, scraggly hair, you see that her pupil is a slit. Stay away! As soon as you get close, uh, she goes, I can't, I can't control it! And you see, you see her hair suddenly, it turns into feathers. 
and she lets out a scream as like her body turns serpentine and the feathers turn into wings. And this is a coedal. Her tail whips out and she lets out like a roar. We are going to enter accelerated combat. Based on all the rolls you've gotten, Oka 15, V 10, Mania 16, Dewey 17, that's pretty good. Oka and Dewey, the two of you are awoken by the roaring of this beast. Oka almost punches Dewey because they're confused and they were just asleep. And then they basically tear down their own tent to run out. When they're like shaking Dewey by their like little pajama lapels, you know? Sure. Uh, Dewey, what do you do? Uh, be shaken, I guess. <laughs> you are be shaken. You stumble out of your tent and V, what do you do? Uh, Manaya, you're right up on this creature as it transforms. Uh, but V, what are you doing? I'm gonna just get scared and like shoot Ray of Frost out, in the, but I can't like see because sure. it's like out in the darkness. So I'm just like, Ooh. cool. So this is sort of like the scene of the the beginning of the battle, right? Uh, v, yeah. foo, and then like Oka and Dewey are tearing out of the tent. Manaya, you're maybe like recoiling from. Yeah, uh, I'm trying yeah. to bring her back to the campfire. Totally, you're sort of recoiling from this huge like winged serpent creature that sort of burst out of the skin of this woman. And this thing lets out a roar. It looks infuriated and it descends upon your camp and the fight begins and it is furious. V, you cast Ray of Frost, this creature sort of twists and it shoots past its body, sort of like twists into a spiral and the frost shoots right through the hole that it's making, the spiral of its body, and then it descends upon the camp and its its wings are flapping, its jaws are snapping. Why don't the four of you describe to me how the fight goes for you? Oka is gonna use their radiant soul. Okay. A couple of freckles on their face are gonna light up as well as their eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, big gray wings spread from their back. And they're going to fly upward and try to, like, distract it with flying. And it's going to maybe call for Dewey to do a similar thing. You want me to what? (laughs) (laughs) I said, get up here! Near the thing? No! As you refuse, Dewey, this thing whips around. Its tail destroys one of your tents. It just sort of, like, knocks it to the ground. And it whips and it dives toward you, Dewey. But who's jumping to Dewey's rescue? Or, Dewey, do you rescue yourself? Manaya! Manaya, you dive to Dewey's rescue. As you lunge in front of this beast, why don't we all make our wound rolls? I have an 18. I also have an 18. 17. 19. Holy shit, okay. So let's say as this creature is diving toward you, Dewey, a Manaya, you leap in front of Dewey. How do you protect him? Handle with my battle axe, sort of block it, and then just like push it off. Sounds good. You block the gaping jaw of this creature and you, uh, let's say like it lashes, it's very strong and it seems it pushes you back a few feet. You're like bracing against the ground and then like it lets out like an acid spittle and just sort of splashes you, sizzles at you a little bit. You're, it's not like a lot, you know, but it, it's, it's a minor beating. You get beat up a little. As it does, its tail whips out and it like slams into V and its tail sort of knocks V sort of across the campsite, V, but you're able to get up after you roll and continue the fight. Finally, as a fight is beginning to reach a certain apex, a climax, why don't we all make our third roll, which is going to be the inspired roll. So this is up to you. Before you roll it, tell me what you're trying to do. I had this plan from the beginning. Great. This monster used to be human. So my goal is to incapacitate it, but do not kill. Mm. Uh, so I'll be using like the blunt end, the blunt side of my axe to swing at its head and probably use strength, just hit it hard enough to knock it out, but not, not use it. any sharp. I think I want to be a bit more 
acrobatic. You know, I get hit and I fly across the camp and I'm going to do some backward rolls and you know, backwards flip. As I'm running back into the fray, I, I see what Manai is probably doing. Mm-hmm. So I want to grab and just give like a real meek, shocking grasp. I think Oka is going to try to break its wings coming from above and like trying to step or stab into like the base of the wing because they understand that much about flight and it would be a lot easier to take care of this monster if it wasn't flying around. I want to try and restrain it somehow with my rope. With your rope, you're going to try to like lasso it around the body of this creature? Yeah, I might try to like (sighs) an arrow and like shoot over it because it's in the air. See how successful your plan is. 19. I got a six. Come on, dice, don't fuck me over here. 19. 19, nice. Also a 19. Oh, okay, 19, 19, 19, 6. Great. Oka, V, Amanaya, the three of you lunge toward this creature. V, you grab it and you cast Shocking Grasp, and tendrils of electricity crackle around it, and it momentarily becomes paralyzed, allowing Manaya to sort of bonk it repeatedly on the head <laughs> with the blunt end of your axe. And while Oka, you dive toward its wings and you're trying to shred the wings, rip them off. Ideally, I'm like slamming with my foot in the joint to like crack Just like it. Right, to crack it. Okay, uh, because this thing is like electrified, you're able to crack most of its wings off. Uh, Dewey, you fire the arrow, pew! It just sort of misses, it like goes off to the side, doesn't really do anything. Uh, but because the three of you, the majority of the party rolled very well, your tactic is successful. And the battle ends with this creature subdued. Its wings sort of broken, it's sort of and now the battle is over. This creature seems subdued, teetering on the edge of consciousness. Okay, you know monsters. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna see what this is. Before you start, she was human before. She was human? She was human. Don't do anything too invasive. Okay, let's go of the wing that they were holding on to. <laughs> it sort of plops to the floor, kind of misshapen. Oka, roll investigation with advantage, right? Because you're a blood hunter. 13. You know what this creature is. You have never encountered one before, but you have heard of them because they're pretty mm-hmm. famous. This is a coedal. It is sort of a desert dwelling serpent creature. Coedals are emissaries of the gods. They're seen as divine creatures that are good. They're one of the few creatures that exist on Andake that has an inherent alignment. This thing is inherently aligned to be good. Which is very odd. Manaya, you know, based on your interaction with it, that it seemed to have lost control somehow. Oka, you know that this is its true form, the winged serpent, but it often takes the disguise of a person. Which celestial emissary does the Coedal often serve? They belong to all eight of the gods, but based on the geography and based on certain markings on this thing's body, it seems to serve Yudabathi. Well, you're only half right, Manaya. This this is actually its true form. It took the disguise of a human because it is an emissary of Yudabathi, mm-hmm. or at least used to be. Okay, as you're examining this creature, you notice something interesting. Now that it's sort of restrained and the campfires nearby, you can see it on its face. There's sort of like a sickly pale film on its scales. And from the wounds, from the blood that's leaking from its mouth and from like the beating it's taken, uh, this sort of sickly pale gold substance seems to be leaking from its wounds. Is this familiar to me? Yes, this is extremely familiar. And perhaps your chest suddenly aches with a ghost pain. I get out some vials and take as many samples as I can. You harvest this corruption. She mentioned when I met her 
that she couldn't control it. Do these beings often lose control? <laughs> Oka chuckles a little darkly, and they say, I imagine a lot more often now. I would say that most people would say that this is unholy, corrupted, sacrilege. What I hasn't see. been since the last few weeks? <laughs> well, you're one right. to talk, hmm? Miss Chrysalis, what did you I, call yourself? I'm a prophet! <laughs> he just like trails off into the edge of the camp. Well, you are right. I imagine we might be running into a lot more of these. Do... Do we kill her? I can speak celestial. I forgot about that, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Surprise! So, Oka kind of, like, takes the samples, and as they do, they kind of, like, shift over to look at it in one of its eyes, and they'll ask in celestial, what happened to you? The creature's eye, which is sort of, like, coming in and out of focus, fixes on you. The creature doesn't say out loud, but you hear a voice in your head, booming divine echoing voice i am the protector of these lands i serve the three-headed the just the divine but i cannot feel him anymore and without him i feel lost weak porous influenceable and the eyes flutters a little bit, uh, but the voice persists in your brain, Oka. And it says, I have roamed these desert lands for many, many, many years, longer than you can ever imagine, immortal. I felt something, a wave of rage overtake me. It felt foreign, it felt ancient, it felt like it had never been here, and it felt like it has always been here. This wave hit me, and I lost control. Your beating has restored me to some of my senses, but I fear I have become too dangerous for my own good. I fear I will lose control and hurt those I have sworn to protect. Kill me, Asimar. Put me out of my misery. Oka brings their sword down. And you hear a sort of lingering voice in your head go, Thank you, child of Sen. And it vanishes. <sighs> Oka doesn't say anything. They stand up, they flick their blade to get some of the blood off, and they move off toward the tent again. Manaya wordlessly moves back to her post to keep watch. Okay, uh, so as this creature dies, V, as you look at this thing, the life sort of fades from its scales, right? And it sort of fades from its wings and its eyes sort of drift shut and it dies. You're attuned to the weave around you. And usually when a creature dies, there's something, ha something happens in the weave. It sort of seems to go slack around the creature. The weave seems to hum around this dead body in a way that you've never experienced before. The strings of the weave seem to buzz, like guitar strings that are strum and then let go, and it seems to vibrate, and just like those guitar strings, the vibration gets weaker and weaker, and then it is gone. 
and it's kind of like a cold spot. Something about it, you're not quite sure what it is, but your intuition, your sorceress intuition V is picking up on something cold and something wrong. Something that is just completely, utterly wrong about the way this this creature has died. I think I'm actually going to tell everybody about this. I'm going to describe the feelings that I felt from this creature dying. But we're not even sure it's dead? Oh, it's, it's dead. It's for sure dead. <laughs> you don't have to worry. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely dead. V, the only words that really seem to suit what you have encountered is unnatural. I don't have words to describe it, friends, but is this... This is very strange, even to me, and I've seen a lot of strange things. I, It just feels like something is very, very kind of concerned about how this feels. It's a horrible, the, horrible new world. The dead are dead. The gone are gone. The manner in which they die matters not. And on those somber words, perhaps you go back to rebuilding your camp and finishing the rest of the watch. The four of you travel the remaining weeks, perhaps with some somberness in your heart. So you're winding down. It is day 30 of your travels. There are 10 days left until you reach Dr. Oluso's homestead. The night watch is long and weary, and the starless sky is wearing upon you, and the distant cries of animals and people grate upon your ears. And Dewey, you glance over at Oka, who's leaning against one of your swords that you've stuck into the ground. And Dewey, you say? So why do you hunt monsters? Oka, I think, is maybe a little surprised that Dewey speaks. I think we've been on Nightwatch together, and it's very quiet most of the time. So they, like, take a minute to think. Wow. Everyone has to have a line of work, right? So happen to be good with a sword. So happen to, you know, it's all history, right? I think uh, monsters are a good way to keep a pulse on reality. I guess it's just the thing I understand the best. I don't understand monsters at all. It's easier to just deal with things that aren't, you know, alive. Like what? Like your machines and stuff? Sure. Has there ever been a machine monster? I don't know much about it. Depends on how you define monster, I guess. <laughs> like, maybe not containing life, but machines that do terrible things, for sure. I did engineer my sword to kind of have sentience. When I was on my own, I would have it keep watch, kind of, and scare off anything that tried to get me when I was sleeping. <laughs> but it's not quite a monster. I suppose your sword would be a monster to any squirrel that wanted to eat your rations, right? Seems like we have bigger problems than squirrels nowadays, huh? I guess. Maybe we are both monster hunters, then. <laughs> or we could both make monsters, right? <laughs> so, you said that it's harder for you to deal with monsters that are alive. Why is that? I don't know. I guess monsters that are technical? Machine monsters are... I understand machines, so, like, tech... I should know how to turn them into not monsters, but... Well, that hasn't been going so great. Never does. No. You know, there's a saying back in the mercenary band I used to travel with called a monster hunter's retirement party. The funeral. Every monster hunter retires to the Court of Ravens. Unforgiving work. 
And here we are. No shortage of monsters. <laughs> you really would have thought that already we had enough monsters, and here we are. And as you, the two of you sort of linger over that rather somber thought, the flames burn low. And now we're going to go over to Manaya and V. Uh, what time of day is it? Um, Are you on the road at camp? Yeah, we're kind of maybe doing some foraging. It's kind of like, sure, yeah, let's say we're making like some breakfast or something. Sounds good. The two of you are off foraging in, let's say, a tiny little copse of trees in the middle of the desert. Very, very small with some shrubs, a few like very bitter, hard berries, and like a few like, you know, birds singing. It's like a little oasis in the middle of the Badlands. The two of you are off here. It's very early morning, let's say like 6 a.m. or so, and it's just the two of you rummaging through the underbrush, foraging. You have a moment of close, quiet, and alone. Hey, Manaya? Um, hmm? V is uncomfortable, but she lets out a sigh as she like stopped kind of looking when she's, where she's looking. Look, I understand that no one trusts me. Look, I'm not an idiot. Uh, believe me, I can. I know how to read the room. I don't believe in the eight, and I. But I do know that the stars disappearing is not good for any of us. Whatever I have to do to survive, I'm going to do it. Getting to Doctor Aluso is important to all of us, and probably to all of Andaki. Look, I. I just want to let you know that I have not trusted anyone for a very long time longer than you've probably been alive or any of you've been alive. So I wanted you to know that I do trust you. Thank you, V. That means a lot. Although surviving is but one piece of living. I understand that you elves live a long time and I would have hoped that maybe over the however many years you've lived you would have realized that Genuine joy is the other essential facet to life. You get a good laugh out of pickpocketing or committing felons or whatever you do, but I don't think that's your life calling. And maybe I'm too young, maybe I'm less experienced than you, maybe I don't know anything, but maybe this first step of trust is the first step in many steps. I have not felt the type of joy that you're describing for a very, very long time. And when I thought I found it, it was taken from me. That being said, I also have not felt any semblance of community in a long time. And I feel, I feel something like that, how I remember it could be with all of you. When you're out on sea, you learn how to trust people with your life rather quickly. Though you may not like them, though they may rub you the wrong way or just be out to annoy you, you learn a base instinctual level of trust but it takes a real sailor to know that genuine connections are what you need to have successful voyage my captain lahahana used to say this to us before every trip she says we are better for the conviction of our allies and draw inspiration from their example what is weak alone it together grow stronger. Forgive me if I'm being too forward, but you seem like someone who has spent a long time alone. And I hope that we might continue to be stronger together. V is fighting back tears, and uh, she says, I would like that very much. That's wonderful. And I think we can end that scene there as you gather oh. breakfast uh, to bring back to camp. 
Uh, that's that's really lovely. Thanks, thanks, guys. Uh, Heartfelt omelets for this morning. <laughs> Heartfelt omelets for the morning. We got our love omelets in here. <laughs> love omelets up in here. Uh, so... We got our found family omelets up in here. Stop calling me out. Uh, the, four- <laughs> the 40th day dawns. Thank God. Upon your party. Uh, yeah, you've been traveling for 40 days together now. Uh, and when you reach Dr. Hitsaguten Oluso's homestead, the light is fading from the sunless sky and darkness nips at your heels. On the horizon in front of you is the Euclid chasm, like a jagged wound in the flesh of the earth. The Euclid chasm looms over a dozen miles wide and hundreds of miles long, stretching from horizon to horizon in an unyielding tract of shadow, gulf, and rock. Overlooking the chasm built precariously on a rocky outcropping is a small cottage with wooden walls and a slanting roof made of glazed ceramic tile. A low cement chimney coughs smoke into the darkening sky, and a small vegetable garden grows nearby, with a few chickens pecking at feed scattered across the soil. What do you do? You know, last time I was here, I got so drunk that I fell, and I was falling, I swear to you, for three minutes before I realized what was happening and I had to, you know, do the thing where I can fly. And I was so fucking mad, I'll tell you. I was so mad, this asshole Yukari pushed me in. I came up and I threatened to throw him down myself with unmercy, of course, you know, she was just, she demanded that I put him down. And then when I dropped him, I had to dive and, you know, the whole thing. Anyway. You're not drunk now, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not, do we? We haven't found any time with alcohol in three days. Anyway, let's go. Cool. The four of you walk up to this cottage. A rooster sort of balks at you. As you get closer, very territorial rooster sort of scratches at the dirt. I'm knocking on the door. I'm knocking on the door the first time. I'm knocking on the door this time. Manaya, you stride forward. And as you do, the four of you also ascend this sort of low stone platform that the cottage is built on. To your right, you can sort of see an assortment of objects crammed into this narrow porch. A bucket on a step stool, a basin, a small shelf populated with like dirty rags, cloths, soaps, scrubbers. And Manaya, you knock on the door. There's a brief moment of silence, then the door opens, just a crack, and you see a sliver of a face that belongs to a grung. And this grung is, first of all, very small. Uh, She's barely three feet tall, and she is somehow wider than she is tall, with a very round, kind of orb-like body, bulging black eyes, a short snout, short limbs, spade-like feet, and webbed toes. She's kind of like yellowish-brown in color, and a thin film of sand is adhering to her wet skin. She sort of squints at the four of you and says, Sorry, we are, we are not interested in joining Quiffalif. Please go away. Dr. Lucilo? Who are you? We're... See you good. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just... I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Excuse me. What? Is Oka also responding like this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
me who are you uh, we are adventurers here on um we're here to see the doctor would that be you Yes. It could be me, it could not be me, I'm a business devil. Do you have with Dr. Wusho? Well, how do we put this? We were told to come find you. We we were told you could help fix, well... Everything that's been going on? Hmm. I'm not sure, Dr. Wusho is a busy, busy man. I may or may not be able to help you. You're pezzy. You're pezzy, God. Uh, and then the door opens all the way. And standing behind this grung is either the most beautiful man or the most handsome woman you've ever seen. Quite possibly both. Um, they have light brown skin and short, curly, blonde hair that's been cropped into a very neat bob. They also wear these round, sort of wire-rimmed glasses on the bridge of their nose, as well as a long, white lab coat sort of stained with grease and dust, and their eyes are, are a piercing blue. They're a human. They look like they're maybe in their late 30s, early 40s, though it's hard to pin down. They don't have any wrinkles. And they go, I'm sorry, please excuse my colleague, Squeak. Can I help you? Yes, I feel like please. a broken record. We're here to see the doctor, Alusolo? Aluso? Uh, that would be me. Squeak, why don't you uh, put on some tea for our guests here? Uh, and the grung goes, Okay, Dr. Russo, I think they're trying to sell us something. Especially that elf, I don't trust her. Uh, and Squeak sort of waddles, waddles over uh, deeper into the cottage. Uh, and as the four of you step inside, you see that the interior of this cottage is cozy, well cared for, very clean and tidy. But that's not what you notice first. What you notice first is that Dr. Oluso reads. There are books upon books upon books upon books crowding the dozens of shelves that line the walls all the way up to the ceiling and even on the ceiling like books are like suspended in like cases. See like a humble wooden ladder leaning against a corner that is presumably used to reach the books. Dewey, you in particular, you notice strange delicate instruments covering every inch of available surface area that isn't already taken by a book. V. Your eyes are drawn toward the various precious gemstones, jewelry, and fat golden medals mounted in various display cases. Manaya, your eyes are drawn toward the placards set underneath these gems and jewels. In the languages you recognize, Uhana in common, you see that these precious artifacts seem ought to be gifts awarded to a Dr. Hitsaguten Oluso as thanks for various reasons, curing a disease, making a breakthrough in research, rescuing someone's daughter, etc. And last but not least, Oka, your eyes are drawn to the various monster parts encased in amber, sort of on display in the cottage's various nooks and crannies. And Dr. Oluso sort of gestures at a couch and some armchairs in the middle of the room and says, please uh, have a seat. Oka does not take a seat. They go over to what, like, to an amber case, okay, uh, and they immediately like press their nose up against it. Is this, is this a naga's tooth, like an adult one? Like this looks ancient. How old is this? Oh, not that old actually. Maybe fifteen years ago. Good eye. That is a naga fang. Caught it while I was up in Moreau's doing some climatology research. A celestial, though, given the curve of the forefang. Is that right? Uh, it's a common misconception, but you do have a sharp eye. That's actually the fang of a dark naga. Uh, hmm. 
fiendishly inclined. Please, I insist, you must be tired from your journey. Have a seat. I said. V? V, <laughs> uh, I was like, I don't, I, I want to sit. It, I've had walked for so long. I've never walked so long in all my life. I'm going to, and like very performatively. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> sit down. Okay, uh, roll, roll performance oh my for God. sitting down. Uh, Manaya, do you also take a seat? Yes. Yeah, she takes a seat. Okay. Uh, Oka, are you, are you still just staring at the monster parts? Yeah, kind of like leaning, maybe uh, like against the back of Manaya's chair or something like that. Dr. Oluso, she takes a flask out of her pocket, she drinks it, and she sort of moves over to where you are, Oka, nods at the, the amber display and says, That there is actually the eye stalk of a beholder I subdued in Jukai many years ago. In Jukai? It was plaguing a village, yes. <laughs> I've, I've been around the block a few times. I didn't know they would get so far west. They're everywhere. They like to lair underground. They're probably even here. We just don't see them around because they prefer the darkness. Ah, Squeak, there you are. And the grung comes out with a tray of uh, green tea and sets it uh, on the table. Sort of begins to pour each of you tea, but looks very suspiciously at the four of you. He says, Dr. Arusha, I still don't think we can trust these four people. You just took four in the other day. Uh, look where that got you. And Dr. Arusha says, yes, they got me comrades and friends. I'm inclined to trust those who knock on my door who know where to look. And then she sort of looks at the four of you, sits down in an armchair, takes a swig of her flask and says, how may I help you? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Transplaner. New podcast episodes drop every other Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at Transplaner RPG. Also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at Transplaner RPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. Music is by Connie Chong, CIS, and Fezlian Studios, used with permission. And of course, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons, Abigail Rytel, Azura, Brooke Bright, Cora, Charles, Lex, and Purple Mouse. We truly can't do this without you.